Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 239, for Monday, April 3rd, 2023. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixorifs, and joining me as always is the ever-consistent Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hello, hello, and if you'd like to hear consistent conversations about Star Wars, Star Trek, and Willow on Disney+, Plus, then you should check out The Render Distance. It's the extended version of the podcast that we do every week, and that is available to our patrons. You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to get access to that extended audio. You also get access to things like the quarterly hangout, which is happening this Saturday, April 8th, 10 a.m. Atlantic, 2 p.m. UK. That's where we hang out with our patrons and let them know how the show is doing, different milestone goals that we have set and, and seeing how we're progressing in the podcast world. And the monthly hangout is something we have later on in the month, and that's more casual. That's happening on the Saturday, the April 22nd. Uh, that is going to be where we hang out with our patrons and talk about what they've been building in Minecraft. And all of this is uh, a great deal of fun for the community and a great way for us to thank the community because it is once again the beginning of the month uh, and we could not do the show without you. It's uh, really fantastic that you continue to sponsor the show and allow us to do this every week with a, our best efforts. And uh, if you want to help out, visit patreon.com slash the Yes, big thank you to everybody who's been supporting us. Some of them from the very beginning, some of them newcomers, but we appreciate you all much the same. Um, how has the Citadel been this week? How is West Hill going? West Hill is getting some things checked off, which has been really, really fun. Uh, I started off doing the ramparts, and this was, I think, something I was in the middle of doing last week. And I needed to revamp some towers, fill in some gaps, uh, add some stuff along the walls, take care of some lighting so I didn't have mobs spawning on top of the walls. Uh, and so I did that and the north ramparts are finished. And I think that kind of filled out the entire north and west part of the build. And then I had to switch gears and focus on the south. And that is where things got a little bit trickier because the south wall actually has the stone church courtyard. And I wanted that to be a little bit dimmer. I wanted that to have uh, soul fire lanterns along it. So I needed more lanterns, more spots for lanterns. And ultimately it meant that I had to start putting lanterns actually on the rampart as opposed to below it. So something that I was trying to do was avoid having like lampposts along the top of the wall because I thought they looked kind of dumb. And mm -hmm. I didn't want to have just lamps, just like like lanterns sitting on boxes and stuff. Uh, so I ended up using small wall pieces, uh, which do two things. It, it gives you something to stick your lantern on, but it also gives you something to kind of smooth out the, the very jaggy way that Minecraft does like arcs or circles or different kind of angles and kind of create like a softer kind of look to the wall. I'm not crazy about seeing the blue lanterns floating in, in space. Like as you look at the wall from outside the city and you see these little dots of blue lanterns. And so it kind of pushed me to light the wall more than it was needed because at least then rather than just seeing one little blue lantern, you'd see like four or five evenly distributed along the top of the wall. So it looked more intentional. Mm -hmm. So that kind of stuff was, was time consuming, but really rewarding because the wall of the church before it didn't have a railing, um, any place that feels like four or five blocks tall, you know, that's far enough that you don't want to trip off, off that and, and break your leg when you fall off the wall. So like I wanted to try to make sure things felt like a little bit more secure. And it also helps with color because the wall is very gray. It's stone and andesite and with, you know, highlight blocks here and there. So being able to use dark oak and spruce and adding in some blue lanterns, uh, all that kind of stuff really kind of helped keep the 
the gray kind of out of uh from being like overbearing and kind of boring and giving you kind of mm -hmm. distinct borders between like oh this is the top and this is the base and this is the inside this is the outside that kind of thing soul lanterns are so underrated for creating atmosphere both in vanilla graphics when you've got like the blue light still feeling kind of cold uh, and when you've got shaders, as you have in some of these screenshots, and there's a bit of that nighttime fog about things, it really does feel like gloomy whilst probably still being fairly effective at blocking mob spawns now. So I think that's a really effective touch, especially at night. Like you start to feel like it it feels cozy and quiet around those parts rather than being like overlit and, you know, kind of implying that everybody's still out at night. I agree. And it, it was really fun to light things in a way where i had that game mechanic of like i don't want any surprise creepers there's a lot of very soft things around here like plants and grass and trees and a creeper explosion is going to be a real pain in the butt if a creeper explosion happens next to a wall yeah i mean you've got four or five blocks to replace but it's not the end of the world um but mm -hmm. this would be very tricky and so i wanted to make sure that it was lit um both visually as you said but then also make sure i didn't have any spawns and i did have to in a couple of places hide sea pickles under some moss carpet just to push some zeros out <laughs> that that i had and uh, i'm using the um mini hud mod which is fantastic for very quickly sorting out where you've got spots where things don't spawn and i've said it a number of times last week uh i just i love the fact that our lighting is now zero is where things spawn and one and above is fine because it means that you can have that gloomy nighttime look that you want and um, inside the church is all blue candles and blue lanterns as well so the only two places in the city where i'm using um soul fire lanterns are in the west in the taiga they just seem to look better in the taiga and then in and around the church because the church the soul fire lanterns are kind of like however they would worship in this church i just decided it was going to be this very kind of gloomy blue everywhere and so the whole churchyard is like that which kind of gives that little area a vibe which is which is nice and uh it, it's been nice to check things off too because like I think that only took maybe one or two streams. Um, the, the north wall, you know, was longer. So as I've been progressing this week, I've been checking things off a lot faster. Uh, I moved into um, near the west gate where I had an old, old tower. One of the first things I built, because of course I, I kind of enclosed the town in a wall was one of the first things I did just kind of give myself a rough idea of what space I was dealing with. And as I revamped the north towers, I realized that my Westgate tower didn't match and it felt very, I built it a year and a half ago, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and I'm trying not to go back and rebuild things, but the top of this really needed some changes. And so what I did was I took the design elements that I had made in the North wall and applied that to the top of the Westgate tower. And then also took elements from the West gate and kind of tied it into the tower as well. So now it looks like it belongs to both parts of the city so that was a lot of fun to do and again just one of those things where like you check it off after one stream and you're like sweet like what's what's next you know um the the bulk of the the week was spent doing things again along the wall i i spent a lot of time doing things along the um the curtain wall and a lot of it is just straight up like i want to say like rubble and debris things that you know, we talk a lot about making sure your Minecraft build doesn't look like it's just plunked in a flat world. Mm -hmm. And so adding like bits of the wall that might have fallen off or um, plants and bushes that have grown up over time. Um, someone in chat, I think it was Sandy, suggested that I turn the north plains in front of the town into a marsh. 
into like a wetlands. Uh, and I really mm -hmm. like that idea. Uh, be a lot of work, but I'm thinking like, you know, the swamp level in Minecraft dungeons, like that kind of like little pockets of water everywhere, but no real big body of water. And I, th sure, I yeah. think that could be cool for one, a realistic, like that would be an excellent defensive position to put a wall on the other side of a marsh because anybody trying to attack you is going to be up to their knees in mud. So like that makes sense. And it's going to help me kind of not just have a great big old empty space in front of, um, in front of the town. Uh, so all of that has been just the kind of stuff I've been working on. I've, I've got um, other things like landscaping around the church, uh, adding in bushes and taking overgrowth bushes down and pushing them towards like in, going into the rivers and going underwater and stuff like that. And some things are just things that you, people are not really going to see unless they're looking for them. But I like that they're there. And if it doesn't take too long, I'm just like, well, whatever, this will take 15 minutes. I'll just drag this bush underwater. I love using waterlogged bushes and waterlogged roots and things like that. And I feel like it creates a nice break from like that constant, like grass with dirt side into water that Minecraft has everywhere. Yes. You know? Yes. So I've got a lot of really cool landscaping happening outside the East gate that has like bushes and stuff trickling down into the water. And so now I have to go around the South, which is a weird, the only thing I'm, I'm not happy with about the town is just like how I added the church and how the curtain wall just wraps around the church on its own. It looks good, but as part of the town, it's got this weird kind of like thumb <laughs> that kind of sticks out. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm dealing with that. And so I've only just started, uh, this will be a couple of streams, I think of just landscaping and river tr trimming and things like that. So I've yet to add some things, but I'm going to be working on the South approach, but it, I'm fast coming up on, you know, the keep is the last big thing. And then after that, it's all like surrounding countryside. I think I might have one more bridge to finish before I can really walk away and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with where things are. So it's, uh, it's been a lot of work and I want to just thank anybody that's been coming out. I've had a number of people that have come into my stream from listening to the spawn chunks and say, Hey, I finally wanted to come and check out West Hill. And I really appreciate that because I streamed almost every day in March. I think the only days I didn't were days that you and I were recording the, the spawn chunks. Sure. And so yeah. I really was able to see a lot of people because of streaming every day. You just, you find someone's off day, you know, people can't always make a Friday or a Saturday stream, but if I was streaming all the time, I found a lot of new faces and so many people were saying, Hey, I came here from the spawn chunks. Well, I wanted to say thank you and hello. <laughs> you know, I think I mm. was able to say hi to people on on stream, but sometimes you miss it if there's a lot of people in chat. And so it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed the the push. I don't know if I'm going to hit every day in April, but I'm going to continue on with the momentum and try to finish up the, the project. As long as, yeah, you've still got the momentum for it, then that sounds great. And it's, yeah, it's it must be kind of surreal just hearing about this project for if you're a regular podcast listener basically like two years yeah. now oh, and then only just seeing it for the first time because obviously i've popped in and out as you've been building this and i've seen screenshots of it every week but yeah like getting <laughs> getting to see you working on it and and really adding the finishing touches is uh, a special time for the project for sure thanks man so what have you been up to uh, I've done a variety of things this week, really. Uh, I am a ghost on Empires now. Ignore that. The castle is still going very well. <laughs> um, there's some plot stuff has been happening on Empires. We've all, we're all having a bit of fun with it. Um, I was the king for about a week, uh, and then I was killed. Um, or I died. I, I think I was killed is kind of stretching the definition, really, because nobody killed me. You'll, you'd have to see it to really explain. But um, my in the meantime, I my my one rule that I set as king of the server was to have everybody 
uh, donate an artifact of historical importance to their empire to my museum. And my server mates have stretched the definition of what an important historical artifact is. Um, <laughs> so for a while, because Jimmy was a sheriff character and people were teasing him that he was Woody from Toy Story, uh, Joel Smallish Beans, the other Joel that I know, uh, has uh, had at some point built the wallpaper from Andy's room from Toy Story around a section of Jimmy's town. Um, and Jimmy took that down recently, uh, and then he rebuilt it around my museum as his important historical artifact. And it's like, um, you know, 20, 30 blocks high concrete powder with, like, it's blue concrete powder with clouds in it, basically. And uh, yeah, so so that's now there. Um, Fwip donated one of the big illuminated signs from his goblin town that just says stone with like a, a, a kind of redstone lamp display cycling around the outside of it. And then various people dropped off like, um, you know, artifacts, you know, weapons and, and armor and that kind of thing. Some elytra. Um, Ollie was one of the first people in the server, canonically speaking, and he speed ran the game and beat the Ender Dragon, and he had saved the Strider that he basically did that with, and uh, like that was stashed in a village somewhere, and so he, he rode this Strider about 2,000 blocks over the overworld to my museum, and I said, well, what am I going to do with this? And he said, I don't know, figure it out. And so I built a little lava enclosure for it, so now it walks around the, the basement of my museum, but there's a glass floor so that you can see down into it. Um, so yeah, I was just trying to find some interesting ways of preserving various people's donations to the museum. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a, a delight to see how people used the rule and came up with like creative loopholes for it or just you know took the mickey a little bit and i i thought it was it was great it was great fun uh but somebody else is the king now which means i can get on with uh building my castle and uh being the ghost that haunts the ancient capital ruins in the meantime because i didn't want to reveal to my stream audience that i was a ghost already i've been playing some more minecraft bingo and now that's been updated to 1.19.4 so the irritating kind of item displacement bug where you mine some cobblestone and the drop appeared like three blocks behind you right. or sometimes glitched into a wall and disappeared to the surface that's now taken care of uh so it felt a little bit more comfortable playing minecraft bingo again um noi nine sir the person who develops minecraft bingo or fetcher in this case um has been adding to it and kind of adjusting things for 119 tweaking bits and pieces so amethyst items are now included in the bingo cards you can have an amethyst shard or a block or some calcite which you can also get in mountains and there's a bit more variety in there i'm still finding that the runs are typically a lot longer than they were in 116 so you've got to find deep slate and stuff from cave biomes you've got to find the deep dark to get skulk blocks and a lot of that stuff takes longer so right now my personal best is around 55 minutes and i expect we'll beat that at some point but i'm going to be working a lot on empire stuff in the meantime the last thing is something that i will explain a little bit more once we've covered it in the news but i streamed from the april fool's snapshot with ulraf bruno danui and etho uh, I also jumped in with Azuma on his Sunday stream to look around the April Fool snapshots. So that was a lot of fun. A couple of wacky screenshots to share from that, but we'll cover more of that in the news. Speaking of the news, do you want to just jump right in? Oh, we might as well, actually. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, so the first thing to cover is Minecraft Java Edition Snapshots 23W13A. We'll have a link to the changelog on Minecraft.net, but it is a pretty small one. 
by most people's standards, especially after last week's snapshot added a bunch of new features. This one is really just bug fixes for those features and one change, which is that the GUI can be scaled on the video setting screen by holding control and scrolling with the mouse wheel. The notable bug fixes, I pulled out a couple of these that sounded like they were worth mentioning. Mobs with passengers having broken movement has been fixed after that ride command was added to allow basically anything to ride anything else if you're using commands. Uh, camels were able to swim sitting down, but that has now been fixed. And camel dash animations were sometimes not displaying for other players. That's been fixed as well, along with a full list of other bug fixes which you can find on the Minecraft.net changelog. So the bigger news this week was introducing the vote update. This was, of course, uh, Minecraft's annual April Fool's snapshot slash version. Uh, From the moment you start a game, this is what the article says, you will find yourself in a world of endless voting where the results fundamentally change the laws of Minecraft. As you might have noticed in the accompanying video, we have created a fine selection of votable features that include everything and anything. The YouTube trailer kind of scratches the surface of what's possible, uh, so it's worth taking a look. It's obviously done with a very kind of jokey tone to it, and that's now playable in the Java Edition launcher as Snapshots 23W13A or B, (laughs) which I thought was a really funny way of uh, signposting that it was a a vote update. But uh, yeah, I'll talk a little bit more about that after after we're done with the rest of the news. Minecraft Legends shorts are on YouTube and a limited series about short videos illustrating the life of overworld in Minecraft Legends, specifically some moments that you'll be able to play through as a hero. Don't worry about spoilers though, these shorts don't reveal any major plot points from the game. The first is Minecraft Legends Uncovering an Epic Story, found in the Shorts tab at youtube.com Minecraft and shows a player hero character rallying some overworld mobs against an invading force of piglins. Minecraft is also on TikTok now. The Minecraft team can now be found making official TikTok content under the handle Minecraft, as one would expect. That's at TikTok.com or on your TikTok app. The community can expect a different experience on TikTok compared to the shorts that the team is proposing on YouTube and Twitter. The content will be tailor-made for the TikTok audience. I don't know if you've looked at the Minecraft TikTok, but oh, it makes me feel old. <laughs> a lot, A lot of this stuff is the kind of humor that makes me laugh, but in a way where I'm laughing at it going, that's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and it's probably just me showing my age at this point, but it does feel like it's uh, aimed at a slightly younger bracket than than the one that we fall into. I've, I've followed it uh, because I need to start expanding my social media presence in terms of promoting stuff on Twitch, because Twitch does not really do enough, I think, to um, aid in discovery. And the only things I'm putting on YouTube are VODs at the moment, so they don't have a lot of traction because they're three hours long. And so I'm missing that short video, punchy content directing people to either the podcast here or to um, to the stream. And so I've been trying to do a little bit of research as to like what's Minecraft Minecraft content like on on TikTok. I followed a couple of hermits to see what they're sharing, that kind of thing. Um, I haven't seen much because I've been on TikTok for a couple of years now, and most of the stuff that I follow is like cooking or dog videos or like I tend to have that kind of content. So the Minecraft mm. content that I follow hasn't really surfaced that much because I haven't seen that much of it. Now, something I do like about the platform is that it very much kind of like gives you what you want to watch based on how long you're watching something, what you're interacting with, commenting on liking, but also just how long you're watching a video. And so when I do find Minecraft content, I tend to... um 
slow down and watch the whole thing, maybe explore a couple of videos from that creator to see if it's something I'm interested in doing. A lot of times I end up following them on YouTube uh, or maybe tracking them back to Instagram, which is where I will see more Minecraft content because of just the nature of how I use that platform. So mm -hmm. uh, I haven't really dove into too much in terms of the Minecraft TikTok. But as I, you know, as you said, and as I expected, I kind of, the first thing that I thought of was like, oh, good, Minecraft content for people with the intention span of a flea is basically <laughs> what, what it boils down to because so much content on TikTok that I tend to scroll by in the same way that you do, where you're like, oh, gosh, that was silly, but like dumb. And that's the kind of thing we're like, oh, God, please don't show me more of that. I would prefer, you know, um, slightly longer. I don't want... 10 minute videos when I'm on TikTok. Like I tend to have 15 minutes to burn while I'm waiting for, you know, a kettle to boil or, you know, something. And, and I, I want more short content, but I don't want it to be like a complete waste of time. I prefer things like, oh, here's a cool way to do this on the barbecue. Or, you know, here's a fun video with a dog where it's, it's funny, but it's not stupid funny. It's cute funny. You know what I mean? And I, there's mm -hmm. a difference there. So hopefully we'll find some some middle ground with with Minecraft uh, on on TikTok. I'm hoping that the presence of the Minecraft account um, will help bring some of the other Minecraft content that's out there that's not like that's kind of worth watching to to the surface, and people might engage a little bit more on that platform. But we'll we'll see. Yeah, I think it's the usual kind of. The stuff that does well on TikTok is the kind of shareable, jokey kind of stuff that you just send to your friends, and like it's it's a, it's an interesting market. It's not really something that I've tapped into myself, so I don't want to like pass judgment on it exactly. But yeah, it does seem like the kind of thing that is mostly meme skit kind of based content instead of like tips and tricks for how to play Minecraft, because obviously there's going to be a lot of that stuff out there already. Uh, the the Minecraft.net article does promise like a few behind the scenes office kind of things, although whether that's going to be sincere like office tour kind of material or if it's just going to be like yeah. stuff that they filmed Scripted around the office stuff. because it makes for a, a good like skit environment. Yeah, that's that's what I'm what I'm expecting. So, how was your time with the April Fool snapshot? It was a lot of fun. I, I watched the trailer ahead of time, so I knew sort of what to expect, but I didn't get into the snapshot until the stream with the four of us, so I didn't see any of the stuff going into it before I was playing it with three other people. And there's a lot of chaos <laughs> that starts to... It builds. That's the thing about this one, because it starts as normal Minecraft, and it's even got all of the features that were up to and including snapshot 23w13a, so... You know, cherry groves are in there, pottery, uh, decorated pots are in there, you know, sniffer eggs and stuff are in there. And the main mechanism driving this snapshot is voting. You hit V as soon as you log in, as soon as you load up a world, and it gives you a choice between a few different options to vote from. And if you want to see all of the different options, you can go to the Minecraft wiki, and they actually have an article under their sort of April Fool's subcategory, you can go to the article that's got a list of all of the potential changes. Alternatively, if you have the time and you feel like looking through, you can load up the snapshot in creative mode and the slash vote command will actually start to scroll through a list of things that you can use to, to vote. But it ranged from fairly benign texture updates like let's change the grass color in savanna biomes to bright orange and, and things like that and leaf color and water color and things like that to you know reversing 
where fog appeared. So it doesn't appear in the nether where you're normally used to distance fog, but it appears in every biome that doesn't have distance fog already. So suddenly the overworld became like we were playing on a render distance of three or four chunks. And you could change the fog color as well. So that got exciting for a little while. I came up from a cave at one point and I was just surrounded in a green mist. And I thought this is <laughs> definitely getting out of hand by that point. But amidst all of these wacky features, there's some real gems in there. Uh, they implemented a whole dimension for the moon. And you can find s several different ways to get there. You basically just have to find a way of getting above a y-coordinate of 700 in the overworld, and then it just automatically teleports you to the moon. So obviously you could find Elytra if you're able to get hold of that somehow, but there were, you know, if you vote for bees to become balloons, and then you can attach three of them to leads, <laughs> and they drag you up into the atmosphere, and then you find yourself falling down onto the moon where there's no fall damage and low gravity and that kind of thing. Um, you could also feed air blocks to a cow and the cow would slowly increase in size and then you could ride it into the sky and that kind of thing. You basically yeah, inflate this cow to like giant hot air balloon kind of size. Um, but once you got there, there wasn't really a whole lot to do. All of the blocks were end stone, except it wasn't end stone. It was edible cheese blocks that you could eat like the corners of <laughs> and things, um, you know, perpetuating the uh, childhood's belief that the moon is made of cheese. But Every so often there would be a moon rover uh, that if you found it and jumped on the pressure plate on top, it would effectively self-build this network kind of, of copper blocks and other things that turned into effectively a generated structure. And it was like a moon base um, that built itself visually using, I think, display entities and stuff like that to kind of grow like a tree. And once it populated with stuff, there were loot chests in there, and there were a bunch of different blocks, which were called copper spleeves, um, which are effectively like a grid of copper, imagine like a mob spawner kind of shape uh, with transparency and everything, and those were apparently kind of a precursor to drip leaf, or there was an idea that ultimately became drip leaf when they were workshopping it at Mojang, and they were effectively blocks that were destroyed when you walked on them. So kind of like a way of doing spleef, the kind of traditional Minecraft game mode without players destroying the blocks. Like you effectively lose the platform every time you walk on it. Um, so those were really neat looking. They had some very satisfying sounds and the functionality was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, like a, a bunch of neat stuff with that. Um, there was a, a big head mode that really brought back some good memories of like goofy PlayStation era games that had that as like a cheat or a feature. Um, thinking like Tony Hawk skateboarding or NBA Jam or anything where you could like change the proportions of the characters. That was kind of fun. Um, there was one option we voted on that was polluted oceans, which meant you could fish up any item in the game instead of just fishing and the fishing loot tables. Later on, that combined with uh the vote to buff fishing which effectively just gives you a constant stream of fish and items and xp but because fishing was giving us every item in the game it was just every possible item coming at you from like creative inventory and all, all kinds of stuff there are all of these potions that you could splash on each other to turn into different mobs um so yeah like all kinds of wacky stuff started happening um some of the more interesting stuff came down to uh like technical changes that it would make like there were block placing and block breaking redstone devices in there um which is something that obviously have been suggested plenty of times by people who like the automated side of minecraft um there was the option to implement realistic piston block sticking rules 
which basically added, from what I understand, a feature from Nembon's carpet mod, where chains can stay attached to sticky pistons and slime blocks, and you can link blocks together to move them using a sticky piston instead of, uh, you know, stuff getting disconnected from, from other blocks. Um, so there were lots of exciting things in there. There was also a lot of stuff that really hindered us. <laughs> so naturally, there are going to be some trollier options. Uh, there was a the B movie in joke. The um, you know, according to all known laws of aviation, it is there's no possible way that somebody should be able to fly or whatever. Um, it, voting for that meant you got stuck in flying mode, so you couldn't land, uh, and and you were like drifting along the floor constantly. And so the only way to get around at that point was to build momentum by sort of jumping every so often and then eventually you'd get into that sort of elytra jumping chain that allowed you to move quite quickly but getting anywhere swimming was a nightmare uh using boats meant that you ended up un on the underside of the boat because you were still in the block lower than it expected you to be and so you'd drown if you tried to use a boat uh <laughs> there was one where it said, you know, you have the power of lightning at your fingertips, and if you left-clicked anything, uh, a lightning strike happened, usually close enough to damage you as well. And since they're that powerful and we didn't really have any good armor, it meant we were just dying to it constantly. And each of these would continue until a vote appeared to repeal them. So <laughs> eventually we got to repeal that one, and we had to wait eight minutes for that to actually take effect and for us to be able to break any blocks or anything. Um... There was a lot of other wacky stuff in there, um, but I, I can share a couple of screenshots of our time spent as Wardens and Ravagers. We enabled French mode at one point, which equipped us all with berets and mustaches and gave us all baguettes that were actually weapons uh, and French flags. <laughs> and like we, uh, we spent a little bit of time just messing around at the end in creative with all of the, the wackier series of commands that we could run, but it was, it was wild. It's genuinely like i i'm surprised that they managed to keep topping these every year with one block at a time being so bizarre but like an actually functional way to play minecraft or in a minecraft environment but you're almost playing a different game at that stage the infinity snapshot having all of the dimensional code jumbled so much that every dimension was going to look like something different and then this where it just becomes player uh, player agency chaos <laughs> after a certain amount of time I really like the idea of taking the development time to like push Minecraft to these weird and wacky boundaries using April Fools as like a very clear date to like please don't take this seriously. We are throwing spaghetti at a ceiling fan and seeing what happens. And I'm sure that there are probably some ideas over the years that have come out of the April Fools snapshots that end up being carefully honed into like you know a game mechanic or a an update to a background code or something like that um uh, and and i i see the value in it for sure i i also find it kind of funny that it it seems to me like a little bit of a of a you, you know player troll where like you think you want to vote oh, yeah. you think you want to vote on everything you <laughs> think you know what's good for minecraft you really don't you really don't want to vote yeah. on everything in this game you really don't want us to take everyone's ideas and put them in the game because it would just break everything and i i like that little little kind of like nudge on what's happening i i've watched a bit of um a bit of stuff online i didn't have time to play myself but i watched exumavoid's video and i really liked the moon base i don't know why it's this copper lattice that kind of comes out of nowhere like that seems left field but it reminded me of the screensavers from like windows 95 
when like yes, things yeah, with the pipes, pipes and, just you know, fill the screen, like that kind of thing. I thought that occasionally was occasionally cool. one of them's a teapot, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. I just I like yeah. that idea. I like that idea of of something like that in Minecraft. And it's cool that the the game has that kind of technology underneath it. And you kind of realize just how powerful Minecraft is as a generation tool and as you know, the different things that they've done with the overworld in the last few years, like you really understand like it has the power to do all kinds of stuff. What they're doing is putting the kind of restrictions on it to give you what you see as the Minecraft overworld or whatever. Um, I thought the moonwalking cows were pretty funny too with their space helmets and, yeah. you know, the yellow spots and stuff like that. I always find little nods like that pretty, pretty funny. Um, the thing that I saw that caught my attention was like moving chests and furnaces with sticky pistons. I'm just going to like, you can do it. <laughs> You're showing us you well, can do yeah. it. <laughs> They uh the 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 twist to that was that they ejected their contents when you moved them. Yeah. And that was like yeah, kind of one of those things of like I mean it's possible to do this, but it creates all sorts of problems when we do. Yeah. And codifying that behavior and trying to figure out how that can work in terms of the the code at least in Java edition because I know movable tile entities are a thing in bedrock edition yeah it, it just it, it's one of those things from the developers saying like this isn't as easy as you think it is There's yeah not a magic switch we can flip yeah um in terms of where i think a lot of these ideas came from i get the impression that a lot of this stuff was just based on prototype design ideas that didn't make the cut yeah like Ulraf mentioned last year uh, during the the one block at a time stream we did that that was mostly their kind of game jam ideas and what happens if we throw long established minecraft mechanics out the window which they had done in terms of changing the light level mobs spawned at that was something that has been a thing in minecraft but nobody could ever really explain why it was a thing and so they took that to the next logical extreme of like well why do we have an inventory in the first place? Why are players not just expected to carry things around with just their hands? And like, you know, w working from logical stuff like that into whatever's next. But seeing the uh, the Copper Spleeves example and him saying, well, this was basically what Drip Leaf is, except Drip Leaf, you don't have to rebuild it every time it breaks. It just like tilts down, drops you, you know, becomes like loses its collision for a couple of seconds and then straightens back up again and you can jump on it again. And that's a much more reusable mechanic for players. So you can see why ultimately that made the cut, but these copper blocks that break when you jump on them didn't, because, you know, it, it there's no way you can reset that reasonably without, you know, a lot of other mechanisms being involved. And it's just a simpler solution, plus an organic one. And it feels like stuff like the moon base would be too high tech to implement it in proper minecraft like minecraft doesn't feel it feels more like a fantasy world than a sci-fi world in that sense but there's all sorts of stuff that they could do that feels similar to to a lot of that what do you say we go into minecraft email yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Let's get into some chunk mail. As always, if you'd like to email the show, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Joel is going to read this first one. Take it away, Joel. From Alejandro, procedural is the way. Greetings, Johnny and Joel. One of the most rewarding things about exploring is bumping into unexpected terrain features like a spectacular jagged peak surrounded by a jungle or exposed lush caves within cliffs next to the sea. I was wondering if perhaps dungeons should be procedurally built as well. Jungle temples could be as enormous as a stronghold or small uh, as a pillager outpost. Desert temples could have a labyrinth of chambers reaching down to deep slate level or could soar with obelisks into the sky. 
The same idea could apply to ocean monuments, ocean ruins, woodland mansions, etc. In my opinion, more variety is the key to exploring fresh new parts of the world. What are your thoughts? Cheers from Argentina. Alejandro suffocated in the wall by generating in the wrong place. <laughs> that can happen. It, it's happened to me several times. Um, yeah, I, I, I like the idea of some of these examples having some expansion to them. I will say that, I mean, ocean monuments and woodland mansions already have procedurally generated elements to them. They're just contained within certain boundaries right like i the the idea of it reaching down through deep slate or, or or being like enormously tall is is one thing but if you go to an ocean monument it's often a different design to any other monuments you've seen or at least the layout the series of rooms that you can get in there is in a different configuration and that allows things to stay fresh i've i've raided ocean monuments when I can swim straight up to the top immediately from getting in the entrance. Like, it just goes up and up and up. And that's not the case in any other monument that I raid after that, you know? So so there's definitely some, some variation to that already. It's the older structures. The jungle temples and desert pyramids are the ones that I think really it, this feels like the best example of. And desert pyramids have had an expansion recently with the archaeology features. So... It's not like there's a labyrinth of chambers there, but there is still room for expanding and revising them for certain. And I think, you know, jungle temples could get some suspicious gravel and have at least a little bit of a tweak to them to to bring them up with archaeology and have them be a little bit more interesting than what they currently are. But I, I agree. I think that this is a neat idea, but it only applies to a couple of structures uh, like the jungle temple, like the um, desert temple. I don't think a woodland mansion would necessarily be I don't want them to be any bigger. They're kind of big and ugly anyway. <laughs> they are pretty large, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I like how uh, bastions go together. I like all the variety that's there. I like how... Um, and we saw this in, in how um, trail ruins are kind of produced uh, in, in the world now. And I think that applying that kind of a thing to something like a desert temple would make a lot of sense. And it doesn't have to go down to bedrock or down to deep slate, but it could easily go through a couple layers of sand. And I think if you had, you know, a desert temple that had like a trail ruin-esque type thing underneath it that you would then have to be taking, you know, 20, 30, 40 minutes of your day to like carefully go through, find the suspicious sand, find the loot, maybe get some cool inspiration from whatever structure might be down there. I think that could be fun, you know? And I, and I think to the jungle temple, like what if there is more than one trap? You know, what if you've got four or five or seven different kinds of traps that all look exactly the same and it's just random as to what three traps are going to be in the basement of this jungle temple? That would be more interesting. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be super hard, but it would at least keep players on their toes and try to figure out what's going on. And I think that could be a, a lot of a lot of fun with the ocean monuments. I agree. I think that those are kind of I don't want to say iconic, but they definitely have a purpose. And because they are large enough that the insides can be. Uh, different that it provides that kind of variety one thing that i was thinking of though was like well you could change the size of them like what if you don't want to make a massive guardian farm what if you just want to do something small but you don't want to have guardians spawning all over your you know your area if there were different kinds of ocean monuments in terms of like small medium and large large being the current size that we have that could be really interesting. Like what if you found an ocean monument where the spawning radius for the guardians was only like a nine by nine or a single chunk, 
you know, like that could be really interesting because I don't necessarily need as a single player a massive guardian farling. Maybe I just want a little bit, you know, that could be a fun way to kind of experience those and keep them fresh. Um, with ocean ruins and stuff like that, I could see there being more things under the ground. I wouldn't mind digging up an ocean ruin, provide some challenges, you know, like it's not something you're going to be able to do effectively right away early game. Like you want, maybe want to have some potions of water breathing. You want to have, you know, some different things on your armor and you know you have to be able to deal with drowned if you're going to be down there for a long time so there's things like that that kind of expand the level of exploration you can do at different stages of progression in minecraft as well so i think it's a good idea i just don't think a blanket application is necessarily the way to go and i also think that there needs to be like a limit uh i can appreciate something like an obelisk going up into the sky i don't know if a desert really makes sense to me Mm -hmm. I kind of thought like maybe like a mountain tower or something that's already pretty vertical. And that could be kind of fun to find like a ruined tower or uh, a, a challenging tower to to scale, you know, in, an, in a mountain environment, something like that. We sort of already have that in the end with end cities. They're kind of, I don't know if they're necessarily procedural, but there's definitely a couple of different models that you see of, of end cities and they're very vertical. And that's kind of like where they've gone with that. They're just not straight vertical like an obelisk. They're just more like a tree I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that there are limits to how an end city can generate. They don't do it like forever, but I think there are elements of it which are, you know, there are connecting parts to it. So if, if something generates with an archway for a, an arm of the city to go out to the next building, then it, it can choose to generate one there or not. So there's, there's definitely like elements of that which are done procedurally by the world seed and everything. And I think if anything having the same thing apply to desert temples or jungle temples could even decrease the value that we find in end cities because by that time you've seen it before it's not going to be the same design exactly but it's going to be much less impressive finding an end city because it it when you find them they don't really look like anything else in the game up until that point so yeah finding an end city feels like a unique structure and that element of discovery is lost once you've played Minecraft for a few times, but it would be lost on the first time through if you ended up, you know, finding similar structures in the overworld already. I think more variety is the key to to, to keeping some stuff fresh for for seasoned players as well. But I don't know if it's necessarily more variety in the existing structures we have. I think adding new structures is just as easy of a way to make exploration rewarding whilst also honoring legacy features and, and respecting you know the fact that the game had to come from these earlier elements like jungle and desert temples i think the archaeology expansion to desert pyramids doesn't doesn't necessarily feel like it's you know a, a complete gutting of desert temples and reworking of them like it still feels like they have for ages there's just like a little bit extra in them and I think that's a good way to respect desert temples as a feature and not just completely overhaul them and leave them looking you know, like completely different from what they were before because then players will go well I missed the old desert temple design yeah <laughs> so I, I think it's it's nice to increase the offering by things like trail ruins as an example like you know ha having having more options like that in future and going back to the the moon base idea seeing the way that kind of builds itself makes me wonder that if in 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 future, the player could have more agency in where those structures appear. 
like you know the the moon base application like i said feels a little too high tech for minecraft you could easily imagine that being done with a fantasy structure even like an undersea base you can imagine throwing an object on the ground and it transforming into a sort of coral dungeon or or something like that mm. uh, like summoning a structure in place in a similar way to how we summon the wither it seems like a a far-fetched idea but now we've seen it done in the april fool snapshot of all things uh, I think there's there's potential for stuff like that to happen in future. It reminded me of the thicket that the evil queen puts out in Sleeping Beauty. I think it's uh -huh. around the castle to try and keep the prince from from reaching Aurora. I think. Yeah. And and it just kind of grows out of magic out of nowhere. Like imagine if there was like a maze, and rather than being generated in the world, you'd have to like plant something and then watch this like mess of bramble kind of like appear in front of you and it'd be a really interesting way to kind of like get a lot of generated foliage in an area that you could either accept as is use as a challenge to to work through or like trim yourself to create something else entirely or do it strategically in spots like there's really a lot of potential and and that's why i chose this email for this episode is because of the moon base construction that i saw mm -hmm. in the april fool snapshot i was like oh man this lines right up with you know the kind of things that minecraft is already doing with bastions and trail ruins but then also you know some different ideas and i like the idea of archaeology kind of like putting a fresh coat of paint on something like a, a, a desert temple but not completely flipping it over and i think that you know the same could be done for 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 jungle temples you know like leave them as a legacy thing but maybe like just add a little bit more to kind of keep people going back to them because there's a nice thing about that where if you have been playing the game for a while and you've not been to a desert temple for a long time because you don't need to bother with them you've been there a hundred times already by adding something new with archaeology you get to go there and you're like oh yeah these are really cool you know like it kind of has that little bit bit of a nostalgia vibe to it for me, that's going to be armor trims still, though. Like I was, oh yes, I right. was still genuinely really excited when I jumped into Azuma's snapshot world. I found a shipwreck, immediately got two coast armor trims, and thought, right, I'm going to bring Azuma an armor trim on his moon base. This is going to be really cool. And then it turned out that he'd voted to turn the smithing table recipe into red sand, and I couldn't make a smithing table. <laughs> so, again, trolled once again by those pesky Mojang devs. Um, let's move on to our main discussion, which is going to come from another email, actually. This one comes in from CJRV Williams with a brief shout out to Jack Oblock M. We'll talk about that one in a second. Um, but moving on from a a discussion we had previously about the sniffers pitcher plants uh this was an email that cj sent in howdy joel and picks in episode 238 you mentioned that you would love the ability to halt the growth stages of the pitcher plant and waxing was suggested as a mechanic i wanted to pop in and also suggest that clipping with shears by right clicking as we do with cave vines might work better as a mechanic since it's more in line with how interacting with other plants works in the game also, I feel like adding an in-real-life carnivorous plant like the pitcher plant without giving it a game mechanic is a bit of a missed opportunity. I feel the same way about the torch flower. I'd love to see the torch flower emit light. I'm not entirely sure what the game mechanic for the pitcher plant would be, but for the relative challenge they are to get hold of en masse compared to the other flowers, what are some other ways these could be elevated in how they get implemented in the game? Cheers! While trying to clip a pitcher plant, CJ found himself clipped and consumed by the carnivorous flytrap. So my, my brain farted last week because I was thinking about waxing signs to keep them from being edited. And so I thought, waxing plants, that's a normal thing to do when really shears makes way more sense. 
However, I'll push up my glasses. Stephen ESC and I were chatting this morning about snapshot stuff. And I mentioned this email and he pointed out that bamboo that you have as houseplants has a little dab of wax on the top of it to keep it from growing up to your ceiling. <laughs> so we're both right. <laughs> yeah, I love situations where we can all be right. Um, but yeah, to, to dive into CJ's email a little bit, um, this is obviously, like they said, a mechanic that exists in the game already. We have shears can be applied to cave vines, weeping vines, and twisting vines are, I think, the three. I'm not sure if there's anything else, and I'm sure the folks in our live chat will let me know if there are. But these are the two vines from the nether, the crimson and warped ones, and cave vines that you find in lush caves. And they can be halted from growing. Um, it's a good existing mechanic, and it has a certain logic to it. And those plants that you can shear to prevent growth are two dangling vines, which are attached to the underside of blocks, and twisting vines which are attached to the top side of a block and grow upwards because that's the warped forest kind of quirk to it. Um, you don't find this happening with standard vines, the jungle or swamp kind, and they feel like they're an exception because they're effectively growing ladders. You know, they grow on the side of a block, not from the underside, and they can also spread in all directions. So the game is having to halt directional spread on each side rather than just say hey don't grow downwards anymore which might be a bit more complex um the other types of vines can also be grown with bone meal which standard vines cannot uh, so there are some exceptions to what feels like a fairly broad mechanic that could be applied to a lot of things kelp that's the other one kelp can be sheared to stop it from growing as well if you want that in a, a fish tank or something i wasn't sure about the kelp i couldn't quite remember i knew that at some point you could break and replace kelp to the point where the growth state would just, it would be randomly at 24, even though the thing would only be four blocks tall yes. and that would keep it from growing. But I, I forgot that they applied the shear mechanic to kelp in one of the later, you know, um, releases. Yeah. Um, the things that popped to my mind and why I think this is a neat idea of using shears to crop the, you know, the growth of certain things is that there are some things that, are always going to grow to a certain height, like um, bamboo, sugarcane. Um, sometimes as a decorator of, a, of an area, you want to kind of keep bamboo from growing, growing too tall. You want to keep sugarcane from growing too tall. If you're not using it to harvest, you want to use it as like a decorative thing. And you have to do something like put string on top of some stuff, which is, you know, depending on your string texture, I have a very faint string texture. So it, it from far enough away, you really can't see it. Uh, but it's still there. And if you walk by it, the little black box shows up when you point at it. So I, I think it's an interesting idea to kind of apply this to other things around the board. And I do find it curious that the new restriction on vanilla vines uh, is a, uh, an option. It's like a setting that you have to say, don't spread the vines mm -hmm. uh, unless if they're bone mealed. Uh, so they won't grow and they won't take over your entire flower shop asking for a friend. Uh, so... <laughs> I find it interesting that you, you, that's a setting, but then the new vines, which do look different and function differently, are the ones that you use, you know, the shears on. But yet we have glow lichen that just doesn't grow at all unless you bone meal it. So essentially the setting that they've added to uh, vanilla vines is just turning it into the same functionality as glow lichen is that once you place it, it's just there and it doesn't spread unless you force it to. Uh, and I, it's interesting to... to to mess with because when we update on the citadel we will absolutely be turning on the ability to restrict vanilla vines from growing unless it's bone meal now we're at a 
point where we've got enough bone meal on the server and everybody's end game where if you want a lot of vines, you can just go grow them yourself. Mm-hmm. And previously, the big use for vines was making mossy cobble and mossy stone bricks, but you don't do need to do that anymore because you can just use the moss block. So yeah. they're really just a decorative thing. And having more control over that decorative thing, I think is going to be useful in the long run. But what I wanted to do, thinking about this idea of, of shearing things to kind of keep them at a certain stage, I love the idea of shearing the pitcher plant because of how attractive the various growth stages are. Now, it's unique to this particular plant because the other things that we have in the game don't always have a unique or an attractive um, stage at growth. Like, for example, I think like early stages of carrots and potatoes that kind of doesn't really look like much. It's a couple of pixels, you know, of, yeah, of they, leaves. They look kind of know. similar to the way wheat seeds look when they're planted. It's fairly basic, just little green pixels. Yeah, exactly. You know, but here with the pitcher plant, I mean, after it gets going, it looks like a turnip. You know, like it, it could have like other uses. I think something you pointed out, you know, a couple of episodes ago is that it, it is very attractive at various stages. And if you could keep it from growing any farther by using shears or wax or whatever the mechanic might be, I think it would be a real like game changer for adding three to four different decorative blocks with one item in your inventory right? You don't have to have, like if you shear it before it gets to the full pitcher plant stage, you just get the pod back in my head to head yeah. in this, you know, but if you want it to be the turnip looking part, if you want it to be the half grown part, then you can snip it at a certain stage. And then rather than having an entire field of, of um, pitcher plants all grown up to the exact same height, you could have them at various stages, which is more interesting and more realistic and creates more visual variety. And I, I like that idea because I would love to have, you know, the ability to do that with other things too, like um, wheat crops, beetroots, potatoes, carrots. Now I've got a couple of custom textures on my beetroots and my, and my carrots. So they're more attractive at the various stages than the vanilla ones are, at least to me. And I, I just like the idea of being able to have that level of control from a decorative standpoint it uh, serves no purpose for anybody that wants to harvest the thing because then you just want it to be end stage it's just so villagers can go pick it up or you can go pick it up or whatever that happens to be but i just like that idea of even if it's only just the the plants coming in from the sniffer like if it's this special ancient breed of plant and that's the only thing in the game that you can harvest at or, or freeze at different growth stages especially if those growth stages have a model it's not just like a pixel uh, plane crisscrossed. Like it actually has like three dimensions in the model of it to make it more interesting. I think that's, it's really, uh, it's a neat idea. Yeah. Like I, I think I, I agree with you in that the, the most desirable state of most crops is just fully grown. Like even if you don't plan on harvesting them, they feel aesthetically best when they're at their final growth stage because it feels like, oh, there's a, a field full of produce ready for the harvest kind of thing instead of they're just being like loose farmland and, and green pixels everywhere and the pitcher plant is really the first exception to that rule for me because it's like it's sub-block detail is a thing we talk about on the show all the time i just yeah i like that big bulb that it grows from um but yeah i i, I don't know if like shearing is such an interesting alternative because i i think about it being like the real life practice of shearing or pruning plants that actually encourages them to grow in certain ways rather than halting their growth entirely 
And right. it, it made me flip this email on its head temporarily and say, you know, could that be reflected in Minecraft somehow? You know, maybe if you're using shears on a rose bush or a berry bush or something, it makes your next harvest of that thing more productive. <laughs> like it could it could even work that way. You know, you bone meal the rose bush, you get three back instead of two or something. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious if that has legs at all. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, I don't know if it's going to be, possible for it to apply in the same way that it already does mechanically speaking with cave vines and kelp and crimson vines and everything because the tip of those vines as they grow or the kelp as it grows has a specific age and all it's doing when it shears it is setting that age to the maximum it can possibly be so it doesn't continue to receive growth ticks right whereas if you're doing that with a crop that's got ages as it you know grows setting it to the final age just makes it you know as big as it's going to grow so you have to implement a different system to pause it at the age it is and tell the game hey don't update this with growth ticks anymore and so that's like a, a different system than is applied to kelp and crimson vines and stuff it's not the same as just copy pasting that behavior over to this crop like it's going to be a, right. a different system for that but it is it is how the mechanic works with waxing copper right it says Yes. Don't oxidize any farther, like freeze at this stage of exposure and, and stay the way that you are. The difference there is that when you do that with copper and you pick it up, it then becomes a new item in your it's inventory. It's a different and block. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's the, a different block entirely. Recognizes it and it, it, and it yeah. appears that way in creative inventory and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. you imagine there's just waxed variants of all of the different stages of plant growth, you know? Right. And, 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 and you couldn't harvest it in that way and move it around if it's going to work in the same way. And I think one of the things we can bring up is is comparing something like the fern that you can then bone meal to get a too tall fern mm-hmm. and then comparing that to something like the rose bush that you mentioned. Like, well, what if you used your shears in a rose bush and you got a one block tall rose bush? So just yeah. the other way around, you know, you can you can pick them up and plant them and they're instantly too tall. You can still bone meal them and get, you know, another rose bush and, you know, allow, you know, that dye production thing to happen. But if you use shears on them, then rather than picking them up, them up or right-clicking them or something like that with shears, maybe they get cut in half. Maybe they take two shear uses to cut entirely down. I, I'd be okay with that because I think giving us, again, a one high block version of the four different two tall flowers for just having the one block in your inventory or the one item in your inventory is great. You know, like I, there's lots of times where I'd like to have a, a two tall rose bush. I use sweet berry bushes instead, you know, because mm-hmm. they're similar in color. Um, there's also another, that's a good example too. Like berry bushes are things like, you know, you might not want all of your berry bushes in front of a house to be the same full bush. Like maybe you want a couple of them to be smaller. Um, saplings. I'd like to be able to keep saplings from going up all the time. You might want to have a, an oak sapling or a spruce sapling in your forest to decorate it. But if you leave it, it'll eventually turn into a tree unless you've blocked it somehow with like a block nearby. Uh, but that's the only way you can do it. You, if you leave it out in the open, unattended, it will eventually grow into a tree, which may or may not be something that you want. So I, it's it's interesting to, to think about it that way. I think too that um, other things that I'd want to apply this to uh, kind of start to branch out. And that's where I want to give a shout out to uh, Jacko Blockham, who wrote in with a very similar email about waxing crops to to maintain their growth stage, but went further to say, what if we could apply that to baby animals? to keep them cute for people that want to have maybe like a farm uh, or in my case, an apartment pig, like whatever it is that you want to have, like it's kind of fun to kind of, 
The you're just walking around with a with a waxed pig, <laughs> and you're like, it's, it's right? never going to grow old. <laughs> hey, I've seen weirder things. Uh, like I, I just I like that idea of um, again, like kind of aligning with what they're doing with one dot twenty with self expression and storytelling. Like, if you have a farm, and you see any real farm, especially in the springtime, there's all kinds of various ages to the cattle or the horses and stuff around. Goats, same thing. Uh, sheep, and I think that would be neat to have like a farm where you've got like a half dozen baby sheep rolling around and that's fine. You're not going to get, you know, they're not going to grow up. You're not going to be able to harvest their wool, nothing like that. But if you want the aesthetic of having a couple of baby sheep around because it's cute and you, and you want that cottage core kind of vibe, then you can do it. Like I, I it's an interesting idea. I don't know whether waxing or shearing are the right kind of game mechanic to apply to that. <laughs> like, I don't mm, know what you yeah. do there, you know, like you have to kind of come up with something that would be, um maybe an enchantment maybe you feed it uh you know an echo crystal or something echo shard like maybe you have to feed it something weird like you, fi- you uh, find the fountain fruit. of youth somewhere yeah yeah <laughs> like i don't know what it, give it a minecraft mechanic that's kind of uniquely minecraft and has nothing yeah. to do with the real world just to kind of keep them smaller you know maybe yeah golden apples they make you know uh players really healthy but they freeze the you know the the growth of a of a small baby animal i don't know yeah, like I, I, I think it's <laughs> it's one of those things. I can see the appeal of keeping mobs in that kind of cute form, but in gameplay terms, that also comes at the sacrifice of any useful behaviors or materials they might give you as well. Because like killing baby animals, I don't think even gives you XP. So there's the <laughs> there's that to be considered. Imagine somebody has uh come in, like killed all of your adult cows, bred them to get lots of little cows, and then has applied whatever magical process to the rest of them, you know, splash potion of never age again, uh, to to your herd of cows, and suddenly you've got a bunch of cows that you're waiting to grow up and they never do. Like you can that that could be a pretty trolly thing to do and there's no way, unlike with waxed copper, there's no way to like check the debug or break the block to tell whether or not it's been waxed. Um, so that there's there's potential for a little bit of light griefing in there, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's one of those odd things, and this all takes me back to the the, the process of the the April Fool snapshot, where I just thought, well, now any time anybody suggests like a feature that the the devs maybe have thought about and rejected or or maybe just seems a little bit too far-fetched for them or not something they're interested in adding where they can just kind of jokingly be like ha 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 shall we make them vote for it you know um i i I get the sense that it's a sandbox control element to a lot of players and so a lot of people imagine well if i can do absolutely anything in this world why shouldn't i be able to keep all of these animals young or why shouldn't i be able to you know keep these crops the way they want them like permanently but like what what benefit is it providing to the broader player base is is always the thing i have to consider at this stage like you know how how beneficial is it going to be for them to spend their time on something like this like like being able to freeze a pig's age forever it's a a curious conundrum i i do want to touch on the other half of cj's email though which was potential uses for the pitcher plant and it occurred to me that when they're talking about carnivorous plants we always think of carnivorous plants as being like the Mario piranha plant kind of thing where it like eats a whole person. But the way carnivorous plants actually work is they trap insects and like slowly digest them in a, in a sense. And so it occurred to me that the insects they could most relevantly do that with is bees in Minecraft. And bees naturally are drawn to flowers anyway. And we have that pollination mechanic in the game. And so I'm wondering if pitcher plants could potentially, I don't know, 
trap bees inside and the player has to interact with them to free them to make sure that their honey production can stay functional. But I, I sort of don't know if there's any benefit to that beyond giving you some more maintenance to do on your bee colony. I, I, I'm not certain if there's anything in the game right now that would really make any sense to implement a carnivorous plant behavior for them. It does have to start getting maybe a bit more larger than life. Maybe they eat like in a whole a whole baby zombie or something. And you can throw that down as a defense against baby zombies. I was thinking as you were talking about that, that, you know, berry bushes being used to, you know, damage mobs that are approaching you. They walk through them and they they take damage. Like and, and you, the player, do. Because I do it all the time. I've decorated a lot of my roads in West Hill with berry bushes and I back into them all the time. Mm-hmm. But when I'm looking at a build, like, hmm, I wonder what I should have put up there. And next thing I know, I'm taking damage because I'm in a thorn bush. The... Um, the idea of using the pitcher plant to to I like the idea of entrapping bees. I don't I wouldn't want them to kill the bees because that would yeah, be annoying. Yeah. But but yeah, but then I guess you just to just to avoid that, just don't plant your pitcher plants near your bees. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um but I like the idea of the the pitcher plant having some sort of use though. I mean we have frogs that kind of lash out with their tongue and and will will kill like magma cream and or magma cubes and stuff like that. Um, I think it would be interesting if there was a carnivorous plant in Minecraft that did that, kind of like whipped out with a tongue. You know, it's, I mean, it's very Mario of me, but like to that kind of idea of, you know, lashing out at a zombie that came too close or um, something like that. Eating the wandering trader. <laughs> yeah, that would be the way hilarious. I'm thinking of it. Yeah. Yeah, that would be really funny. Like all you see is just the legs of the wandering trader wiggling back and forth upside down. Yeah, that would be really funny. I, I think that, you know, as it stands, like with the model that it has now, trying to come up with a mechanic like that for the pitcher plant, like bees are the first thing that I thought of as well, but I'm trying to think about what other things could happen, but like, there's no, there's no other flying insects in the game that would really, that would really matter. And I don't know, like you don't need to farm silverfish or endermites. So like that doesn't really necessarily work. So um, I like, I don't know what, what could, what it could be used for other than like, thinking about it like a beacon or something that might deter things like, you know, endermen don't teleport when they're too close to the pitcher plant or, and I think the only reason I went there is because the pitcher plant is kind of like blue purple and endermen are kind of blue purple, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm not really, I'm not really sure about it. I, I wonder if there could be um, some sort of other value where assuming these imaginary bugs that, that a coniferous plant would be eating, would it have any benefit to like, expediating crop growth in the vicinity you know like if you plant a pitcher plant in the middle of your wheat field it's going to grow faster i don't know like just just kind of a brain fart right now as to what that could look like but i i like the other idea of like the the pretty plain jane of like torch flower emitting light like i think that's kind of gift wrapped you know in in the name but coming up with something for the pitcher plant is a little bit harder yeah, I, uh, I I wonder if they can maybe kill two birds with one stone. I, w- I would vote to have pitcher plants eat fireflies so they can implement fireflies as well. Um, <laughs> but I think that's that's where we're going to wrap up this episode of The Spawn Chunks. Enough of this weirdness. Uh, you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud as ever to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community, where pledging at any level will get you an invite to 
our patrons-only Discord chat. You can participate in the live show recording as it happens in Discord every week, and our monthly Minecraft audio hangouts and quarterly hangouts will be available to you as well. We currently have 316 patrons, which is down 13 from last week. That's that usual first-of-the-month Patreon shuffle, and we'd like to gently remind our patrons to check their payment details just to make sure everything is hunky-dory over there. Special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz. Thank you for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and say, you should listen. And you can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please use that email address. Remember, the short and sweet emails are the ones that we tend to use on the show. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixlriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixlriffs, where right now I am continuing to haunt Empire's SMP, and pretty soon I should be able to post a first look at Minecraft Legends. Uh, they, the embargo for that, I believe, is up on Thursday. Uh, so Thursday, 6th of April, hopefully I should be able to get a Minecraft Legends video out ahead of a discussion that I'm sure we will be having on next week's show. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for my YouTube series, and I'm playing Elden Ring with my good friends Loy XP every so often as well. So if you're over 18 and feel like checking that out, uh, it's a bit of a gory and violent game, so be warned. I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. And aside from that, I'm at PixelRiffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm up to online can be linked at joelduggan.com. You can find my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment at thecitadelcafe.com. Latest episode, Brock and I talked about the first three episodes of The Mandalorian Season 3. And coming up this week, Stephen ESC is back and we'll be extending our conversation about Mandalorian Season 3 and a few other things that he has been watching. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream almost every day. But lately, we've been focusing on the West Hill build in Minecraft, and Lego Fridays are making a return this month. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite because we voted to keep it that way. (laughs) 